0: Well, amen, thank you, thank you. Hey, if you got a Bible, Luke chapter 11. If you're visiting with us, we are in the midst of a series entitled Upgrade. We've been challenging our church really to experience an upgrade in our own personal prayer lives and I know the Lord's been teaching me a ton of stuff over the past uh, several weeks concerning this and so excited as well about January just kind of give you a little sneak preview uh this past week I was a little bit down I uh woke up Tuesday morning with uh double pink eye and the strep throat so I couldn't see or talk can I get a witness on that or some of y'all praying for that but anyway so uh but that did occur but it was a good time uh, believe it or not I actually got to sit down and uh work on some messages. And so I've got uh, one already prepared and ready for January 5 and looking forward to uh, delivering that. I want to preach it this morning, but I got to wait. But just be ready for January as we talk about how to get your groove on. So it's going to be a great, great month. God's going to move in the midst. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. But this morning, you will be, be reminded that Jesus was praying and the disciples had the opportunity once again to actually See him praying, and in doing so, they came up to Jesus and they said, "Hey, we want to pray like you. So uh, teach us how to do that. Give us an upgrade to our prayer life." And then the Lord Jesus gives the model prayer, and in the model prayer there are five major attitudes that you and I are encouraged to possess whenever we sit down alone with the Lord and spend time speaking to Him. And let me just kind of recall the first few before we give you the fourth attitude of prayer this morning. You'll remember the first attitude of prayer is relational openness. Jesus. Jesus says you ought to start your prayers like this. You ought to say, Father. So it reminds us that we are to have an attitude of transparency before the Lord where we talk to Him about what's going on inside of our lives as well as about what's going on all around us. So we begin this relational openness as we enter into prayer seeing God as our Father and we are His children. And then we move to the second attitude and that's where Jesus says you ought to pray, Hallowed be your name. That attitude is simply entitled an unprecedented reverence and I gave it to you in a sentence a few weeks ago unprecedented reverence is an attitude which leads us to exalt the reputation of God above all else in our prayer life so when you pray and I pray we should always be seeking God to answer those prayers so that listen so that men might consider God hallowed and holy And so we're seeking the reputation of God in our own personal prayer lives. And then there was the third attitude. I preached on that a couple of weeks ago. You may remember that. It was willful surrender. How many of you remember that sermon? Slip a hand up. That's what I was afraid of. All right, God bless you. About seven of you. So let me kind of remind you what willful surrender was. That's when Jesus says we should pray, your kingdom come. And willful surrender in a sentence describes an attitude in which we personally submit to the reign of the Lord God in our hearts. And we long for his complete dominion upon the earth. And so this is how we pray. we got relational openness, unprecedented reverence, and willful surrender. Now, two Sundays ago, last Sunday, we had our uh, Christmas production, which was awesome, by the way. But this uh, couple of weeks ago, as I was preaching the message on willful surrender, uh, a member of our church was sitting in our first service. And while I was preaching, God put upon his heart to write a poem. And so uh, he wasn't listening. He was writing a poem. Are y'all all right? And I'm like, you're kidding me. You should listen. But I was so encouraged by the poem that I asked him to come and read it because God has used the model prayer to encourage his heart. So Pat Chastain, you come. You make him welcome as he gets ready to read this to us this morning.
1: The rightful king is landed. His beachhead is secure. He calls to us to rally, to join with him in war. All other business put aside. Leave earthly task undone. To lift our eyes, unstop our ears, for battle is begun. The birds of war are gathered. They circle high above. Yet the king, arrayed in power, sings out the song of love. Around us are our fellows. Captured and confused. Prisoners in the turmoil, beaten and ill-used. But we've been given weapons, sharp and fit for use. When wielded with the arm of faith can cut the captive loose. Tis sure he'll be the victor. The end is written now. But in this place and at this time, he asks us to avow. To join in restoration of peace upon our plain to overthrow the rebel, arrogant, proud, and vain. And when the conflict's ended, then we will fight no more. Honors will be handed out as we stand upon the shore. But before we are all seated for that supper long prepared, a hush will fall upon us and silence fill the air. For the king will stand before us, his name upon his thigh. And a heavenly host will sing once again. Their music will fill the sky. Then rank upon rank and troop after troop will bring forth their medals and crowns to cast them with joy at the righteous one's feet in praise of his glorious name. For the king who is savior, redeemer and friend, the author and finisher true, will eternally reign and receive the acclaim that only King Jesus is due.
0: Amen, amen. Thank you, brother. I figure if you're not listening to a sermon, you better have a poem like that. You know what I'm saying? Hey, listen, excited to continue and talk to you about the fourth attitude of prayer, but you've got your Bible, Luke chapter 11, verses one through four. Stand with me in honor of God's word. If you're looking for a Christmas sermon this morning, let me just go ahead and say, Merry Christmas. And I'll say the same thing next Sunday because I want to complete this uh, before the Christmas Eve service. And then I'll give you a Christmas service, all right? Uh, Luke chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. The Bible says it happened that while Jesus was praying in a certain place, after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, uh, teach us to pray just as John also taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. And here's what we'll focus on, verse 3. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins For we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Let's bow together. Father, again, we are so grateful uh, for this church and how many people you have put here that are so uh, gifted, so blessed. And God, thank you for their obedience, like Pat, to uh, sit down and write what you have laid upon his heart. And God, you give gifts to the church that the church might be edified, it might be built up, it might be encouraged. And uh, God, I have been encouraged by his ministry here and so many others as well. And, Father, now as we have opened up the Word of God, we want to be challenged in our prayer life. We want to deepen our conversation with you. We want it to be authentic and real. Uh, Father, we don't want it to be as it was uh, during the days of Jesus with so many uh, hypocritical uh, showmanship, so much uh, meaningless repetition. God, we want to uh, get down and actually speak to you just as Jesus did. And, Father, thank you for this model prayer. So help us to apply these attitudes to our heart that we might grow in our relationship with you and we might be used for your namesake and for your glory that others would receive the truth of the gospel. And now, Father, speak to us this morning. Fill with your Holy Spirit. uh, Speak to every single heart. I rest and trust in you. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. And everybody said... Amen, and you can be seated. Well, there's very few men who have challenged me more in my own personal prayer life, and you remember that prayer is a spiritual discipline, and for me, that's the one that always crawls off the table, so i got to pull it back and refocus my energies to really be uh, serious about speaking to the Lord. I'm kind of one of those let's-get-it-done kind of guys, but it's uh, strong discipline and work to sit down with God. But there's one individual who's challenged me and encouraged me uh, throughout his life, who really was a man of prayer. His name was George Mueller. I picked up his um, uh, biography, actually, in one particular store and began to read this, and it's amazing how encouraging his life was. You know, George Mueller uh, literally was a, a very poor man, and uh, began an orphanage in which he would never ask a single person for any money. Instead, he would actually pray that God would provide for the daily needs and provisions of all of the children. And as a result, he trusted, listen to this, he trusted that in not asking people for money, but just praying and trusting God that God would use that orphanage as a uh, location to magnify the fact that God answers prayer. So he saw God answering prayer as a testimony, not only to believers, but also to unbelievers. And so he began to build these orphanages, again, always seeking God in prayer. There was one occasion that I was reminded of this morning in which uh, George Mueller was standing before all of the children in the orphanage home, and the cupboards were bare. Uh, There was no food in the refrigerators, and it was time for breakfast. And so George Mueller bowed his head and began to pray and began to thank God for the food, uh, which was unique because there wasn't any. Y'all all right? But he began to pray and thank God for the food, and in the midst of his prayer, there was a knock on the door. So he went, the children watching, he opened the door, and there was a man standing there who was actually the local baker, to which the local baker said to George Mueller, George, I had a prayer last night that God wanted me to make all of this food for the orphanage, and so here it is. And so they presented all of the food, just enough for everyone who was in the building. But then he continued to pray and said, Lord, thank you so much for this food. And then there was another knock on the door. He went to it, and there was actually a dairy man with milk slammed full in his truck, broke down right in front of him. And the only thing that they could do was give the milk to the children or else it would spoil. And so God answered his prayer. You know, what an awesome testimony to you and I of how we ought to pray. And I mentioned George Mueller, and we've got a picture of him right back here, who consequently also looks a lot like Nick Ball, who's with us this morning. God bless you, Nick, for being here. I knew I could mess with Nick Ball a little bit. But anyway, so uh, but we want to be challenged to have an attitude in prayer that would really— Encourage us to live with humble dependence upon the Lord. So that's the fourth attitude it's humble dependence. And just as I gave you a sentence with all the other attitudes, let me give you a sentence here. Humble dependence is an attitude that fully trusts in the Father's care for daily needs. Jesus said, pray like this, give us our daily bread. Now, the word give speaks of giving out of one's own resources to furnish or supply. Jesus Christ is teaching you and I to call upon our heavenly Father to meet our needs out of his own resources. Ladies and gentlemen, how many of you know that your resources dry up? There's no doubt that our resources will dry up, but God's resources never dry And then the Bible says give us each day and notice he says uh, not give me you know so many of our prayers are just like that give me give me give me however we reach a deeper level in our own prayer lives when we begin to focus on the needs of others as well as the needs of our own lives and then he says our daily bread give us our daily bread and this is a phrase that speaks of one's need for survival on that particular day And bread not only represents food, but it is also a picture of the complete physical needs of a person. The great theologian Martin Luther was studying this text, and his eyes were focused upon that idea of bread. And here's what he wrote. He said about the bread, "...it is everything that is necessary for the preservation of this life, including food, a healthy body, good weather, house, home, wife, children, good government, and peace." See, Martin Luther could not get away from the fact that Jesus Christ came and said, I am the bread of life. And every single thing that you need this morning and every single thing that we need together, God has promised to take care of our needs in the person of Jesus Christ and meet our needs according to his riches and glory. So God has made that promise to you and I. He says, give us this day our daily bread. Listen to what the psalmist wrote in Psalm 145, 15 through 16. He says it this way. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due time. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. Solomon writes in Proverbs 38 and 9, Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is my portion, that I not be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or that I not be in want and steal and profane the name of God. And so Jesus is encouraging us to have attitudes of humble dependence upon him in prayer, speaking about God the Father, trusting him to daily meet our every single need. Now, as I meditated on this idea, I realized that too often followers of Jesus Christ compartmentalize their lives. And by this, I mean they have their family life, their work life, their extracurricular life, and then they have their church life. If you can kind of picture a bunch of mason jars up here for just a moment on the uh, podium, And uh, one mason jar is my family life, one's my extracurricular life, one's my church life, one's my work life. Often we begin to divide those mason jars between sacred and secular. And so we'll take our family life, our work life, our extracurricular life, and we'll put them over here on a table that we might label secular. And then we'll take our church life and put it over here on a table that we might label uh, sacred. Sacred. And then when we begin to pray, all we are concerned with in our prayers is this little jar about our life in the context of church. However... What happens is when we separate sacred and secular is that we begin to realize Monday through Saturday that we are not praying about the daily needs in our lives. We are not seeking the Lord. And as a result, what ends up happening is on Sunday when we come to our quote-unquote sacred life and we begin to pray, we begin to think that God seems so distant. Where is the Lord? Why is he not listening to me? Here's a great Statement, Robbie Zechariah writes in his book, has Christianity failed you? He writes this, the reason we sometimes have the false sense that God is so far away is because that is where we have put him. We have kept him at a distance, and then when we are in need and call on him in prayer, we wonder where he is. And then, Zechariah says, he is exactly where we left him. Think about that even this morning as I read that again. I was reminded of this week and how the news, as soon as that went down in Connecticut, all of the newscasters began to talk about faith and began to show church and ask questions about God and ask questions about an individual and how they should answer all of these things of the spiritual realm. They are not concerned with God until tragedy hits. And they would begin to ask the question, Where is God? To which the Lord, and according to what Rabbi Zechariah says, it's almost as if we would have to say, the Lord God is right where America has put him. We didn't want him in the schools for prayer. We've kicked the Bible out of the school, but as soon as tragedy hits, it's like, where's the Lord? He's right where we left him. And God is still there. But listen, we talk about the nation. Now let's cut it on down real quick to the New Testament church. Let's go on down to Concord Baptist Church how many of us really are not pursuing and seeking God until tragedy hits our life and we wonder where is the Lord he's right where you put him right where you left him and so this text is challenging And encouraging us to seek the Lord God on a daily basis. And not to separate the sacred and the secular, but to pull them all together and put them on the table of the Christian life. And as we walk with God, we are in open communication with Him, trusting Him to meet every single need for our family, for our work life, our extracurricular life, and even our church life. But every single thing we do in word or deed, we should do all to the glory of God. That's how we are to live makes a massive difference You know, it's interesting as we consider this divide Ken Hemphill writes it like this Your father knows that you have a life He knows that life includes cereal on the breakfast table Diapers on the baby A coat on your back And a pair of decent shoes on your feet It includes a roof over your head and money to keep it there a job to work, and opportunity to excel, a car that runs, and a reliable mechanic to help it stay that way. To most people, there's nothing spiritual about these things, nothing sacred about writing the check for this month's rent, eating a tuna sandwich, or fixing a leaky faucet. But for Christians, are y'all listening? Say yes. But for Christians, routine matters... Provide ongoing evidence that a compassionate loving God cares about the most ordinary matters in our lives Now as I consider this attitude of humble dependence, I'm Asking the question, you know, I'm, I'm growing in this too, man My prayer life has been deepened uh, over this study and I'm praying it continues right so that I'm walking with the Lord And uh, y'all listen and say yes Uh, Before I ever preach a sermon to you, the Lord has already preached it to me. Y'all all all right? And so the Lord's growing me, and I'm like, all right, this is awesome. I get to share this with everybody. But how does walking in humble dependence change my heart, Levi's heart? I mean, I'm walking with God. If I'm really going to be humbly dependent upon him day after day, moment after moment, minute after minute, how is that going to change me? Uh, A few ways. First of all, uh, we note together without a doubt that humble dependence defeats the attitude of worry and anxiety. Humble dependence defeats the attitude of worry and anxiety. Here's a statement that I want you to get. Are y'all listening? Say yes. God has obligated himself to his children. Let me restate that. God has obligated himself to his children. Now, you may not like the way that statement is made because we don't like to think that God is obligated to anyone, but it's true. Besides, listen if he chooses to obligate himself to someone, who are we to argue? You know, I'll never forget the month of July. That was the month in which uh, Garrison, our oldest child, was born. He's nine years old now. And uh, in July, you know, as soon as he was born, Chris and I, you know, got everything together and, and put Garrison in the car seat. That was the first time I'd ever used a car seat. So it was in our uh, vehicle, and we, we strapped him in there, and I got in the car and drove out of the Kennestone Hospital back towards our house. And I was driving like, you know, 25 or 30 miles an hour. I was so nervous, right? Because I got this kid back here, and I don't want to get in a wreck. It's like, we have four now. We don't care anymore. Y'all all right? The fourth child is like, let's get on up out of here. Strap yourself. <laughs> Y'all all right? But anyway, so we're, yeah, you got like 12, 14, 15. He's got the tribes of Israel down here. But anyway, so, uh, we're cruising, and then I've realized as Garrison grows older, uh, he's hungier, hungrier every single day. So think about it. He gets up in the morning, and he's hungry for breakfast, so we feed him. He's hungry for lunch, so he gets fed. He wants a snack in the afternoon because he's hungry, so he gets fed. He wants supper, he gets fed again. He's even hungry right before he goes to bed, so he gets another snack. All oh, five times a day that Joker <laughs> eats in the house. Are y'all listening? Y'all know what I'm talking about? But here's the deal about Garrison and all of our others, you know, Maddie and Gavin and Marley. Did I forget anybody? All four of them. Here's the deal. They have never, that I'm aware of, laid in their bed at night, staring up at the ceiling, panicking, wondering whether or not they were going to be taken care of the next day. But why are they not concerned with this? Because they know they have parents, mom and dad, who, listen, who have chosen to obligate ourselves to meet the needs of our children. Are y'all listening? I want you to know something this morning. You as a believer, you are a divine priority of God the Father. Listen, if Garrison can muster up enough trust in Krista and I to meet his needs out of our limited resources, how much more should we trust God to meet our needs out of his unlimited resources? What an awesome truth that as soon as we came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we were adopted into his family, we became his children, and he chose to obligate himself to us. And Jesus says, pray like this, give us This day, our daily bread, and God will take care of you. And humble defendants, what does it do? It defeats the attitude of worry and anxiety. Jesus promises in Matthew 6 that the Father knows all things that we need. He's not oblivious to the facts about every detail of your life. So Paul says in Philippians 4 and 6, be anxious for nothing. Let me ask you a question, church. What should we be anxious for? Let me ask you again, what should we be anxious for? Nothing. But the Bible says, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And as a believer, listen, if we run around with worry in our lives, we are living as if God doesn't exist and has no concern or care for his children. Randy Williams is on staff here. He likes to give the quote to our staff at Concord. He says it like this, worry is a sign of atheism. Worry is a sign of atheism. This is not a testimony which magnifies the character and the nature of God. Nor is this the kind of testimony which attracts unbelievers to one true and living God. However, when we enter prayer with humble dependence upon the Lord, trusting fully that he will provide for our every needs, we are set free from worry and we look completely different than a lost world. So let the weed of worry be choked out of your heart by humble dependence upon God. Now I love the fact, he he says, pray daily, every day. Hey, don't wait till you show up to church on Sunday. Every day, God's available. God is there to walk with you, to care for you. I remember talking to one guy who was a manager, and he began to share with me all of the goals that he had for his business over the next year. Uh, He was a follower of Jesus, so I asked him, I said, how many of these goals have you been praying about? And his eyes got bugged, and he's like, I hadn't prayed about any of them. I never even thought about praying about them why he divided his life sacred and secular but God's concerned with every single facet of your life every bit of we walk with him and as we do this humble dependence upon the Lord worry is cast aside anxiety is no longer there there's a second reality and that is humble dependence helps us to see God's work in our lives George Mueller writes repeatedly about how God answered his prayers because he brought his every need to God in prayer He was always highly sensitive to how God would answer the prayer. Now, are y'all listening? I need to ask y'all that question. Are y'all listening? Y'all over here, y'all paying attention? Don't you listen? This is huge. This is what is helping me tremendously. I want you to think about this for a moment. What you pour, what you pour your heart out before God the Father about is what you become sensitive to. So as you are praying and you are bringing your needs before God the Father and you are trusting him to meet those needs when you are in your prayer, as soon as you stand up, amen, and you begin your day, you're walking with the Lord, you are anticipating God to answer the prayer. Sensitive to the fact that he is at work in your life. Sober assessment here. Think about your week this past week. How do you know God was involved in your life? Y'all with me? Say yes. Think about your week this past week. How do you know that God was involved in your life? Listen, God's intimate involvement in our lives is testified by us through the recalling of answered prayer. If we were to run into George Mueller in the days in which he walked on the earth, we'd say, hey, George, tell me, is God working in your life? He'd be like, shoot, yeah, you're not going to believe what I was praying on Thursday. And here's how God answered the prayer. I wonder if we got together on a Sunday morning and instead of trying to all look spiritual and act spiritual, we came in here and said, Hey, tell me how God's been working in your life. And we could share immediately about a prior day. Maybe last Monday, you're not going to believe this, but Monday I was crying out to God for this and God answered the prayer. Wednesday this happened, I was crying out to God and God answered the prayer. Or somebody came up to you this morning in church and said, How has God been working in your life this past week? How would you respond? You'd be like, I don't even know. I, I hadn't thought about it. Listen, the reason you haven't thought about it is because you have not been speaking to God. It's no prayer. And then we come to church and we're like, all right, this is it, Lord. Where are you? Why do you seem so distant? Right where you put him prioritize the lord in prayer humbly depending upon him daily and as we do this it enables us to see god at work in our lives that's what we want y'all with me say yes there's a third reality when this humble dependence drops on me it opens our eyes to the needs of others So as you pray, give us each day our daily bread, uh, you realize you're not saying, give me my daily bread. There's actually a concern about the needs of other people. And listen closely. The church has been designed to help meet the needs of others within the body. In other words, you may be able to see that your needs are already provided for on a particular day. But when you pray, give us each day our daily bread, you become concerned about those who may not have their needs met yet. And you say, well, wait a minute, Levi. You just said God provides all of the needs. Yes, but you might be an answer to someone's prayer. That's pretty cool. You could be an answer to someone's prayer. There's no telling how many people were praying in our community Before Thanksgiving, God, bring us a meal. I don't have the finances to pay for a meal. don't have the means to take care of the family. Lord, if you will show yourself strong in my life and just provide a meal. And then all of a sudden, Concord Baptist Church knocks on the door and says, here's a meal. Over 100 homes ministered to during Thanksgiving. How many of those people now are saying, God is there. God does care. Because of the faithfulness of the church to say, give us this day our daily bread. Us. Who else is in need? And I've been encouraged by an email I received this past week that went out to our small group Sunday school class. It read like this. Our class has been so faithful to give where there's a need. It's amazing to see all the work God has done this year through one's class's obedience. It's a joy to serve with you and as we finish the year We want to come together one final time to bless a family who could use our help at Christmas And below you'll find a list of requests for the family And if we all come together, we can help them have a very Merry Christmas Please bring your gifts this Sunday to class So while I was in Sunday school I continue to see people walk by a box that was outside of our room and drop gifts in that box Who knows A mother or a father is sitting somewhere even now praying, Lord, show yourself strong in my life. And God may put it upon your heart to do something about it. Y'all out there? And when this happens, then we know we are walking with God. And when we get back together Sunday, it's like, tell me, man, what's God been doing in your life? Well, this past week, God put it upon my heart to take such and such to so and so. And man, they had been praying about it. I was a part of that. Give glory to God. Y'all with me out there? There's more in my heart, but... I just heard the clock beep. <laughs> God bless y'all. I only need two people to say go for it. <laughs> you answered my prayer. <laughs> hey, look, <clears throat> this ain't uh, some seminary exercise up here. Y'all with me? Um, in other words, I'm not getting up here trying to preach and sound all uh, pulpiteerish and slick. Uh, what I'm trying to say is there is a God, and we can walk with Him daily. And God wants to meet our needs and meet the needs of others, and use us to meet those needs, and use others to meet our needs. And God is at work. Let's get in on that, man. I swear, it's Sad. That's the reason so many churches are dead today because they can't recall the last time God answered a prayer. And the reason they can't recall the last time God answered a prayer is because they can't recall the last time to pray. Let us not be a church like that. Praying church. Seeking the Lord. Be challenged this morning. Pray like never before. Father, in Jesus' name, we're grateful for your word. and.